This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon in the heart of Nagpur, the VCA ground here in the middle of the city, or roughly the middle of the city, the old test ground. We've been mm. at the stadium for the last four or five days, Jeff setting up and covering the three-day test match, but a day off of sorts we've been working throughout on the podcast, but we thought, what better opportunity to return to not only a test venue, but the mm. ground where Australia won in 2004 to claim the Border Gavaskar Trophy in India for the first time. Of course, when they won previously in 1969, uh, Sunil Gavaskar hadn't even made his debut for India, nor at Allen Border for Australia. And they've won one in 16 times since. So it feels like a, a happier hunting ground and um, a gorgeous old-fashioned little stadium here um, with the shops on the outside, the apartments now on the far side of the ground, which yeah. probably weren't there when they were playing cricket. An under-25 representative game going on behind us and no better setting for our weekly show this week. Mm -hmm. And thanks to Millen Bay, who's up the back and who's helping us out, <laughs> guiding us around the stadium and showing us how to uh, not kill ourselves by <laughs> falling over the construction site bits. Um, there are some, some stairwells that have seen better days and so on. I'm not sure what the plan is for this ground in the future, but it's very important to get the difference between the VCA stadium and the VCA <laughs> ground because you could end up at the wrong one and you might be fairly unhappy if you did. Well, I suppose there would have been tourists who came to watch the Test match sure. this week who'd rocked up here and like, this doesn't feel like where they're playing no. the Test match because it is a bit dilapidated these well, days. Well, you can buy an apartment here though and you could just come out and sit on your balcony and watch the under 25. So I mean, it, it would be a nice relaxing... There are people who you know and who I know who would love to own a place like that. Well, there, there are grounds where you can do that. Notably, well, Somerset, Chelmsford, yep. Bristol, of course. Mm -hmm. the, the, um, the, the Overhanging apartments. the Gabba these days. Overhanging can, the Gabba. You can get yep. an apartment. I, I love being at grounds like this, though, Jeff. Like, I have a really uh, fond recollection of one of my school holidays. I think I was, I was thinking about it before. It would have been in year 10, okay. winter holidays, you know, the fortnight of yep. school holidays. And I went around to visit every suburban VFL slash AFL ground that had been decommissioned so I spent an afternoon traipsing around Victoria Park Arden Street went through Princess Park which still had footy being played mm -hmm. at, at the time I think Witten I went to, Oval I went to Western Oval I did yeah. I also I went to Arden Street which of course North was still using but you know went back to Glen Ferry where I'd spent a lot of time as a kid watching Hawthorne train mm -hmm. I wonder what my parents thought of me by the way he's got two weeks off school and he's just kind of pottering <laughs> around um, these old footy grounds but yeah I've always had a I don't know, it's something about places where important stuff happened and doesn't mm -hmm. happen anymore, but you can still kind of have some feel for the place, and you absolutely can here. It's a pristine ground. It, you know, the grass is cut beautifully, and the cricket we were watching before was of a, of a pretty high standard. So I'm glad it's still the administrative centre of, of cricket in this state. And the uh, the sun is setting. You're getting that... It's going to become that orange ball of fire pretty yeah. soon in the orange city. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty nice place to be. You, you, when you've When you've been in the heart of cities like Delhi and like Kolkata and like Mumbai where it's, it's about 20 to 30 times more intense in terms of traffic flows in terms of population and so on it, it's quite nice to be in Nagpur it's the end of winter the temperature is gentle yep. the end of winter means about 30 degrees by yes. the way but it's not 38 degrees so there's there's that sort of difference and you know we we have we have a bit of time we have a bit of time to ponder things we were work, trying to figure out how we would fit a weekly show in between two test matches when there were three days and one was a travel day and we had to do set up for the radio broadcasts and all the rest of it uh, so in that sense the Australian team have done us a favour by giving us a little bit of <laughs> little bit of breathing room. It has been interesting like looking at the response to that test match, just how pissed off a bunch of people are getting about it. Like I'm I'm always fascinated by that that curious uh it, it's a it's a non sequitur really, but 
where you put a moral lens on sporting failure. You know, I didn't want it hard enough, too soft, you know, blah, blah. Like, like you're, you're going to morally judge someone for missing a straight ball rather than look at it as they did a cricket thing badly. Of course. I mean, how many footy analysts get a job on the back of saying mm. that the team that's in front wanted it more? There's mm. a couple of um, commentators that cop that criticism on Twitter, I've noticed, and there's a lot of it. And look, I, I don't want to speak ill of casual cricket fans because, you know, that's the lifeblood of the game in Australia. It's why it's mm. ubiquitous in the summer because it's not only people like us who follow the game, it's a lot of people who drop in for, you know, a couple of months in the summer and take an active interest in a series like that. And that's great, but it probably can lead to, you know, reductive conclusions mm-hmm. you're describing there. Like, you know, Andrew Donald, you know, it's his fault because he's the coach and yes. didn't want it enough and they're too soft and, you know, all the rest of it. Yeah. And if Justin Langer was there, I did see a bit of that from sort of the usual suspects and <laughs> you can disregard like most of it because a lot of it's parochial and a lot of it's, um, you know, coming from a, a place that is less informed, I suppose, than the guys that made that decision, like mm. you know, the guys that live in that dressing room, for example. But still, it's a, it's a natural response. When they lost in Dhaka in 2017 uh, to Bangladesh in the first test match, there was a similar kind of response. It was, uh, you know, this is the most disgraceful day in Australian test history, yep. ignoring the fact that Bangladesh had played brilliantly in conditions that suited. And, of course, mm. the conditions that Nagpur did suit the home side. And there's obviously going to be a lot of speculation around the surfaces that Australia get in the next three weeks. And yep. Rohit Sharma put it really well last night, I thought, um, yeah, in the press conference. And Brat picked up on this in his analysis. He said, Rohit Sharma, that um, India have been playing in challenging conditions at home, not crazy sort of lottery conditions, but challenging conditions at home for a number of years. And they've conquered those conditions. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've won 43 test matches in the last 10 years at home and lost two. So they know how to play here. <laughs> right. It's sides that come here, and Dan Bredig had this in his analysis in The Age. You don't need to prepare a raging turner or a dust bowl mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it if yep. you're the Indian side. All you need it to be is a little bit tricky because you've got the skills to pay the bills in that setting, mm-hmm. but it still feels foreign enough to make it really hard for players who haven't grown up in these conditions. It all it all makes sense to me. Interesting that the day after the test match, the pitch is still the main character. <laughs> I know, like, I know we've been guilty of this as well. We all talked about the pitch. I wrote about it. We had the selective watering thing, the doing one side and not the other. We had India's left-handers dominated and Australia's left-handers absolutely taken apart. But even after the match was over, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident, it, it's sort of speculative, but I'm pretty confident that the the pitch was basically what made them pick Peter Hanscom in the test team because they wanted another right-hander. They were worried about the left-handers thing. And that in turn meant that it was a Renshaw versus head selection for number five. Mm-hmm. And so the surface force changes to the Australian 11. I'm fairly confident about that. And then they tried to get out there and play on it, um, you know, have some training on it on day four. And, and as we mentioned at the start of the Gary Kirsten interview, which went up yesterday, um, they were stopped from doing that by the ground staff, who I'm sure completely independently and in no direction of anybody, went out and watered the track at night after everybody had left the stadium when the Australians I mean, I think didn't it was, know be, it had happened. In fairness, I think it was still the afternoon, but it was like much deeper into yeah, the Yeah, but it was once the place had cleared out. Exactly, The yeah. Australians had asked the ground staff, please leave this, don't touch it. They said, yep, no worries, sort of India style, tell people what they want to hear, and then went ahead and watered it Yeah, anyway, crucially, so. it was after the Australians had left the ground. I think yes. that's the, the key reference yes. point there. So, yeah, they haven't been training today. They they are going to train there tomorrow morning, but the nets were also watered, like the nets they were going to use, so mm. I suppose... Or the other, I think, yeah, the practice pitches, the ones that were on the, along oh, sorry, the sides. Right, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they got watered as well. So they'll be able to use the nets tomorrow. They could have, which will be yes. a different kind of practice. Sure, but the nets obviously didn't prepare them very well for the test match. True in enough. Which they got absolutely taken apart in, what was it, 32 overs, 33 overs? Uh, I think it was inside 34, but yeah. still it was, you know, Australia's lowest score in India ever. So that, yep. that stands out. And yeah, just to kind of double back on that that piece of analysis like you know this is exactly what's going the soil might be different mm-hmm. in Delhi and Andrew McDonald made reference to that this morning yep it is media engagement the history of Delhi uh, the most recent test match there was a high scoring draw and all the rest of it but I mean why would India prepare anything other than what they prepared at Nagpur they won't prepare a raging turner because mm-hmm. that would be silly that becomes a lottery like Pune, and they paid the price for that in 2017 because it makes it a shootout, and sometimes you lose a shootout. Sure. This was far more tailored to ensuring that their extraordinarily skillful spinners in Ashwin and Jadeja mm-hmm. were able to do their thing, as they always do. Um, they're still in the, very much at the peak of their powers, which was always going to be challenging for the Australian mm-hmm. batters. But on the other side of the ledger, it was never going to be explosive enough to make it yep. a lottery for a player like Rohit Sharma, who was a... Uh, who was serene throughout his stay from the moment he hit three fours in four balls from Cummins at the start. And yeah, wh- why would it be any different when they travel up to Delhi? It, it should be the same. That, that's their, it's in their interest and that, that is the right thing. If you've been a long time listener to this show, I think it's notable that you and I are in India together. I came here in 2016. Yeah. You came here in 2017. We've never been here together. We've spent the last six or seven years saying that people have got to go to India. We have finally <laughs> gone to India. We are we are here. Um, you know, I had just a couple of moments tuk-tuking around in the city as we've been doing our errands around the day, just feeling really happy to be somewhere interesting and different and weird and vibrant and, and all of these unfamiliar things in a really good way. It has its challenges as well. There's 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 very little that goes in a straightforward way in India. Um, and so we, <laughs> we've, we had an interesting week um, leading up to and during the test in Nagpur. Yeah, I was reading Mike Howard's uh, book, Cricket Beyond the Bazaar, which is kind of his defining uh, text about cricket in the subcontinent. That was written in 1990 and there's a line in the opening, one of the opening passages which says that you can't be indifferent about India, like it, it, it forces you to, to feel strong <laughs> emotions um, be it what you're saying there um, exhilarated by the vibrance mm-hmm. of the place and and just how intense the whole thing is and the sounds and the smells yep. and, the, and, the, and, and just the way in which uh, conventions that we've grown up with don't yep. apply here. You sure. know, even the way that there's no real traffic rules or anything like that, you just kind of roll with it. And Brat, who's travelling with us, of course, is his attitude's always like, everything works out in the end, you just need mm. to sort of trust the process, trust the energy. Yep. And it can take a while to surrender to that. But, you know, it's not as though it's our first rodeo here. We have been in India before. Yeah. We've travelled in other parts of Southeast Asia. We've covered cricket in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and we've been through other parts of Asia. Well, that's subcontinental Asia and Southeast Asia as tourists, and you've studied over there too. Yep. And, you know, we know what it's like to be in unfamiliar terrain, but mm. it's never easy. No. Um, it does take some adjustment. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's about balancing out um, the tricky bits and remembering that this is a privilege to be here. It's, um, there's also, you know, Bharat has got me in the headspace of, there's a Hindi phrase, aramse, aramse, <laughs> which is like, cool it. Take chill. it easy, yeah. you know, chill out. Um, and, and that's what you have to keep doing all the time here. We rocked up, we, we got an Airbnb house with a few of us who were doing radio <laughs> commentary, which seemed like a pretty good 
get. It was like five minutes from the stadium. It seemed to be in a little suburban enclave. The stadium's, you know, well outside the city. We thought, well, that'll be easier than going back and forth to town. Cool, no worries. Uh, if you've ever done internet dating, you know that it, it can be perilous to rely on images and descriptions. Yeah, relying on from, the photos. <laughs> from, from the internet. Uh, that they don't, they, you don't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen. This when had you its meet up. listed at six foot four when it was actually five foot two. Yeah, exactly. So we, we started driving out there and the maps tells you to go down this highway and pull a left. We get to the point to pull a left and the entire side of the highway has been excavated. There's like a six metre drop to the road that we're supposed to turn left onto. Yeah. We're like, oh, hello, okay, this isn't going to work. Ended up doing this wild circuitous route where we had to drive the wrong way down the highway against traffic, pull off onto some, it wasn't even a dirt road, it was just kind of made of rocks and like, yeah. like off-road it down this rocky track in this taxi with this driver who's getting increasingly unhappy about <laughs> being asked to go out here. Finally got to this place which was, it was like a, a weird little island of row houses just in the middle of this paddock in the middle of nowhere with this half road leading up to it and it's like, well, this is it. This is where you live. No phone reception. The internet doesn't work. You've got no way to get transport and get out of here unless you prearranged it. And uh, yeah, we didn't last there very long. We, we, we retreated to the city within 24 hours. The worst bit for me was when uh, Nikesh, who I'm working with for SCN, and I thought we would just you know, get a car back to... Um yeah, back to the place. Yeah, it was going to be a bit of a trick, what you're describing there, but we've done it once. We, yeah, once you've done it the first we time, knew what we, like, would do, we know the we way. We had a feel for it and all the rest. It took us 90 minutes to get home. Yeah. <laughs> and we were holding on for dear life in a tuk-tuk along those roads. You, you were off-roading about. in a tuk-tuk. We, we really shouldn't have been doing it, but we were so desperate <laughs> to get into any vehicle by that stage. And again, that, that's when, they're the bits when you're like, mm-hmm this is really hard. I've got to keep my cool, keep my yep. composure, make good decisions. And we probably made a bad decision there. Like we were like, you know, we, we snatched it a little bit. There was a took, like, well, we'll just get it and it'll be okay and we'll roll with it. And it could have been dangerous, but mm-hmm. you know, I hope my family aren't listening to this who have promised that I'll take care here after the car accident they had in Pakistan last year. Anyway, but yeah, that, that, was, the, that was the situation. We didn't mm-hmm. perhaps keep our cool and you know, we've probably been a little bit better there in the last go. couple of days. You were Matthew Renshaw on day three. And we were Matthew Renshaw on day three. And look, to be fair, that was the that was the day when we'd arrived at the commentary box the day before the test match and there was rat shit all over the desk. Um, well, and that, that's, that prompted a certain degree of... Um, it, it was gravity fed. Um, so, yes. so, we, so we got to the ground, we found the TV operation had taken the entire, one entire end of the ground. It was all theirs. So yeah. radio was being sent down to a few little booths at the very far end in the other grandstand. And when you... When you set up a radio booth, you come in, there's basically nothing there. You've got to bring in all the cabling, lay in the effects lines, the sound lines, the, the data lines for the internet, get the power turned on, all the rest of it. And you have to do a lot of cabling from one box to another. And so there were these temporary roof panels. We thought, okay, no worries. We'll just move the roof panel and pop the cable through. Every time you moved a panel, a, a shower of <laughs> desiccated rat shit came pouring out of that panel and just doused whatever was underneath it. So it was like hazmat material stuff. We needed the full Walter White get up to be working in there god knows what we've been breathing in over the last few days we cleaned it up the best we could with like cans of spray antibacterial and paper napkins but like holy shit it was it was not it was not a nice way to set up i suspect no one's used those radio boxes since the stadium opened in in 2008 which probably didn't it didn't help situation yeah. like it was clearly an afterthought that radio was coming in that would have been yeah, that would have been after all india radio stopped doing it probably yeah which is at least i think they stopped doing test matches week in week out 2011 or, or thereabouts when they right. formally stopped going to the grounds so sure. yeah that, that's probably not a bad benchmark a dozen years perhaps since they yeah. they'd had any sort of use in a meaningful way mm-hmm. so everything was tough 
and, and then, that was and, the afternoon. And the electricity kept dropping out every half yes. hour or so. Um, the Including on morning one. So I'm, I'm oh, going yeah. to wear, like I'm, we're doing our little, you know, behind the curtain, bit indulgent and it's fun. You know, you do your, do your half an hour build up and mm-hmm. it's pretty common. You've got lots of commitments to, to get through in that first half an hour. You're taking the toss. You're trying to take the national anthems. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you've got to have your wits about you when you're hosting as I was that morning. And then a minute before I was meant to start my opening spiel, off goes the electricity, all hell breaks loose, mm-hmm. everything drops out. And that happened three times in between going to air mm-hmm. and the end of my first commentary stint 20 minutes into play. It's just like, hold on and go for the ride and get out the best you can. Now, to the credit of the, 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 the staff at the VCA Stadium, they realised that things weren't all well and they got everything sorted probably by tea on day one and it was smooth sailing on mm. day two and day three. But yeah, when you combine that with the, the rat shit everywhere, it, it made for a, a tough start. <laughs> uh, there's also that thing that um, no journalist from the Times of India is allowed <laughs> to come into the stadium. Be careful here. I don't want to lose our accreditation. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just noting a thing that yeah. is true that, that uh, some people high up at the VCA have a, a set against that paper for yeah. some reason that that is lost to us in the mists of time, but um, it, it still carries on to this day. Even when the ICC was running this, was running that stadium as a venue during a World Cup, the, the state association still would not let anybody from the Times come in. And we're going to be back here in October, November. Mm-hmm. I believe that four World Cup games will be played here. That's the word on the street. I know these things change pretty quickly, but it's entirely possible we'll be here watching, I don't know, Australia take on... Mm-hmm. Um, are the West Indies form? No, they're not. They're in the qualification tournament, aren't they? Australia playing. Uh, help me out here. F- no, well, not well, Pakistan. Won't I, was be gonna, here. I was going to say Afghanistan, but they, they, <laughs> so they, they may not play Afghanistan. They're playing Pakistan in Pakistan. Could be playing Sri Lanka. <laughs> they could be playing Sri Lanka here. There you go. There's, there's a country who are automatically qualified for the World Cup. Who it's Australia? It's like a game of guess who. Where you're just like, no, well, not that one. Not that Nagpur. one. Not that one. Yeah, that's right. So it won't be our only visit to probably uh, this part of the world in in 2023, and we'll have a much better handle on it next time. In terms of what Australia do with you know the India piece of the puzzle here, you know, we've already discussed the conditions. They do have at their disposal a number of players returning. I think that's important to remember. Not just who they are, but what they represent. You talked about Peter Hanscom, who I thought played well, by the way, whether it was for reasons of the pitch or otherwise and being a right-hander. If Green comes back and he can be the second quick, suddenly they can play three spinners mm-hmm. with no concerns whatsoever. Remembering that the second quick in India, you know, Mohamed Siraj, we joked about on The Daily Show yesterday, bowling one over and eight for the test match. Yeah. And they bowled twice. Australia bowled once, Boland bowled, was it 16 out of 104? 30-odd overs or something in the first innings or the only innings where Australia were fielding. So they could get away with Green playing that role and that opens them up to having Agar in the side who is a more than competent cricketer with the bat. But they don't want to pick him or he doesn't want to be picked because he thinks he's bowling so badly in the nets and they're bringing Kuhneman in. Sure, I I get that, but bigger picture, the batting of Agar, I think, Mm. you know, they could easily find a way through that where Agar could stabilise the batting lineup, and that's no sign of weakness extending your batting right. So Green could enable that to play out and yes that would mean they'd have to dispense with one of the the top six and Renshaw would be the obvious one given Renshaw struggled and it would mean another right-hander in the top six and I mean Ashwin to left-handers is just I mean he's what maybe the greatest ever bowler to left-handers it's probably Stuart Broad or Ashwin probably yeah yeah exactly certainly in modern times Um, so yeah that's what they got ahead of them Mm. in Delhi next week and when we go there in I guess we're going to go there in in what two more nights in the hotel we've got at the moment where in a couple of days and we're going to do a, a live stream oh, show yes. in Delhi as well now we're going to do another YouTube video to provide more detail on this so if you're watching us on YouTube mm-hmm. and you're from India we'll get you more info on this but it'll be Tuesday night India time 
we will be doing a you know a YouTube live, you know, kind of a, an abridged version of our live show, more Q and A Q&A type thing. We're just working out the details at the moment, but that should be fun. Yeah, with a very special guest. Yes. Just gonna say, all right, keep your uh, eyes on the channel. Uh, one more thing I'm going to say. We're going to break off the YouTube now. If you want to continue listening uh, to this podcast and the conversation we're going to have about the issues around the world in the week, all you need to do is find Final Word Cricket in any podcast provider, Apple, Spotify, you know, Friendster, ICQ, <laughs> um, you know, uh, AOL Messenger, wherever else the Final Word appears, but specifically Apple and Spotify. You can do that. You can listen to what we do. Subscribe there as well. Uh, yeah. And we're going to keep making these YouTube videos throughout the course of the Border Gavaska series and well beyond as well. The Lost Cities of Friendster. The Women's T20 World Cup is underway in South Africa. The best upset was the one that happened before the tournament began in the warm-ups <laughs> when the mighty Irish... The girls in green... The Fighting Irish. ...beat Australia in a warm-up. And it wasn't down to one freak performance from somebody having the day of their lives. Like, and Australia batted well, the usual suspects. Yep. They get them to 168 for five, should be more than enough. Ireland chase it, two balls to spare, seven wickets down. 20s and 30s, that's what gets scored. No one scores, a, it makes a big score. But they do it consistently, everybody contributes, and they all do it at a fast clip. They all contribute. And they run it down. They ran it down pretty calmly and with, got it pretty pretty uh, comfortably in the end. I mean, with four balls to go. Extraordinary. Um, it was at Stellenbosch. We've been to Stellenbosch on a wine mm. tour before, Jeff. So maybe they, and maybe they indulged the night before. Although that's not being fair to Ireland because you know they have been a side that's been progressing quietly. Remember, they brought in their first round of central contracts. Yeah, I reckon it's four years ago now with thereabouts. Yep. And I saw that Mary Waldron was involved in the chase towards the end. She made a brisk 20-odd. Yep. She was one of the first four contracts that Ireland issued. Uh, from memory, they were part-time deals. Mary's actually been a first-grade umpire with Barat in Adelaide. And when she came out and did some umpiring a few years ago, she um, has been on the, I'm going to get this wrong, but the first-class panel, I think, in Ireland. She's going to mm-hmm. be an international umpire when she hangs up her wicket-keeping gloves. Right. But yeah, I'm glad that I think we're the same age. So she must be, you know, 38 now and still doing the thing for her country before before she goes off and, you know, does a pull rifle and becomes an international umpire when she's all done. Straight in. Yeah. Uh, Sri Lanka then did the South Africans in the tournament opener. That's yeah. a major upset. They made 129 mm. Sri Lanka. Chamari Atapatu, 68 off 50. Uh, young Vishmi Gunaratna made 35. She's the 17-year-old. Yep. She's the one who last year made 400 in a 30-over match in a, in a school's competition. <laughs> 400 and change. Of course she did. Um, you know, classic, <laughs> classic sort of Central Asia school's comp stuff. Not sure what the standard is. We'll get Barat on the case, but nonetheless, if you can crack 430 overs, you're doing pretty well. And this, for someone like Chamari Adapatu as well, like, the subtext of this tournament is that it's a shop window for the women's IPL. Yeah. It's all about who's going to get a contract. Well, 68 or 50 doesn't hurt your chances. And there's and so, only 30 spots. I just think it's worth noting here about the women's IPL or whatever they're calling it, the women's Premier League. WPL. WPL. There, there is only 30 spots. Mm. Like, there's this misnomer that um, everyone's going to get that everyone's going to go over there and it's going to change women's cricket forever. And I, I lent into this a bit on the weekly show with Daniel a couple of weeks ago. But stepping back from it, there isn't mm. enough slots yep. to make it quite like that. Now, if in two or three years' time they broad yeah. it out, maybe that's a different conversation. But so even someone like yeah. Chamari Adapadu, who would be in the best 30 players in the world, no doubt, uh, outside of India. There's no, no question about that. And her performance there, yeah. that can happen to anyone. As we've seen in many global tournaments in the last seven or eight years she has the ability to be a, a true match winner and, and so yeah. she was here but yeah it, I, I just think it's worth making a point there that when this auction plays out 
is it next week? Mm. I think it's next week. That you're right. This has been a good little opportunity for these players ahead of the auction and good timing for Matapatu, mm. but it won't be a free-for-all either. And, and it's 30 spots and probably 22 of them will be English or Australian You'd players so. that get picked up. You'd so the, so, yeah. the chances for players from other countries are, are pretty slender. Anyway, uh, 129 they made, South Africa made 126 for nine in reply. Yeah. Soon Elise did her best, 28 off 27. That was the top score. They needed 13 from the last over. They got nine of them. Inoka Ranawira, who's just... It feels like she's been going around for 30 yeah. years. Um, every tournament we've ever been to, Inoka Ranawira is wheeling away with the left-arm orthodox. Um, she took three for 18 off four. And then, look... Huge well, problem. Huge problem. So and Dane Vanekirk was in the commentary box. She, it's a huge problem. Yeah. Like, you know, heads in sand stuff about this Vanekirk thing and the knock-on effects. And I'm not going to repeat myself from a fortnight ago, but if we think this is just going to be all good, for the South African women, we are yeah. absolutely kidding ourselves. Uh-huh. In all probability, they're not going to make it through the elimination stages yeah. of this tournament at a home competition, remembering they made the semi-finals and came within maybe three minutes of making the final yeah. with rain intervening at Sydney um, before the pandemic. Sure. I mean, all I can say is that watch this space. This feels grim. And it, well, and I will just add, for the, for the people I saw making comments like, oh, there's nothing wrong with having a, a fitness standard and players have to live up to it. It's about random arbitrariness. If you just say everyone in our squad has to be able to high jump a metre 68 to be able to play, it doesn't make any sense. There's no science to it. But let, let's not relitigate all of sure, the stuff we sure. talked about, uh, that you talked about with Daniel. Uh, West Indies got thrashed by England, made an OK score, 135. Yep. England did it in 14 overs. Dunkley, 34 of 18 at the top. It's kind of funny what 135 represents. Like yeah. That represents the Windies actually improving. Yeah, that was a good rel- score. Relative to where yeah. they've been in the last six months. So I, I was kind of buoyed by that. But, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, Nat does what Nat does, player of the match as ever. 40 off 30 balls yep. for Natalie Siverbrunt as she's going by now. Yep. Two silver brunts in the 11. Australia annihilated New Zealand. They made 173 for nine, batting first. Fast 55 for Healy. Fast 41 for Lanning. Elise Perry, the story again for yeah. me. 40 off 22 balls, two sixes. She's a fireworks factory at the moment. And uh, one, of those, one of those sixes was the, an inside-out jobby, uh, Anesha Ghosh, who uh, is a friend of mine from India, used to work at Crick Info, now a freelancer working around the world. She tweeted about Perry practising her inside-out um, rain cheating a few months ago and isn't it lovely when like the story if you've mm. been watching training and doing the yards as a journalist yep. and that's exactly what she did yesterday with um, with that exact shot which you know Perry hasn't been known for inside out against the spin over the top of extra cover for six but proving that point that you made the other week that when she needs to improve in an area mm-hmm. of the game even this deep into her career she, she finds a way to do so the covers are coming on here at the VCA ground not sure <laughs> oh, when it's going to bed get. as well we've got the blankets on yeah. I love this the other night we were walking around the edge of the ground at Nagpur um, to do our various commitments in, in the press side of the ground and, um, they, and and we were wondering what the blankets were on the side mm. of the field Brat and I and then we saw them coming on it's like it gets tucked in to go to bed each night the pitch over here it's really lovely Amelia Kerr Three, four, twenty-three, or four overs was the only one who avoided embarrassment on the bowling front. Um, and then New Zealand were all out for seventy-six in the reply. Sophie Devine and Susie Bates both made golden ducks at the top of the order. And we know that when those two don't make runs, New Zealand don't go so well. Megan Shoot knocked them both over. And then Amelia Kerr again, top scored with twenty-one, doing all of the work for New Zealand. They've got Hannah Rowe batting six and Hayley Jensen seven. I mean. It's not a batting lineup at the moment. No, it's, it's not going to happen for New Zealand, as it never really does at major tournaments. That's mm-hmm. just the way of the world for that particular generation of players. I know we spoke a lot about middle names and Peggy a little while ago, and we uh-huh. got with Amelia. For a time, I was pushing for Mealy. Oh, yeah. After Amelia Kerr, I thought, well, she goes, after, she goes by Mealy. I'm like, oh, Peggy, mm-hmm. Mealy. 
And Rach is like, we're not doing that. We're going the full name or not at all. I'm like, okay, okay. We, we'll go the we'll go the conventional way of um, yep. Amelia Kerr. But but yes, it's worth noting on the way through that Amelia Kerr at least inspired my thinking partially. But that's the the thing about middle names is that you can always like you can you can have the full name, but you can always pull it back afterwards. That's know? true. Like you can, you can always go with Amelia, even if that's not officially what's happening on the sheet. Um, by the time this episode is published. India-Pakistan will have already been played. We're going to try to do a daily show for that. Not yep. sure if that's going to work or not, but if we have succeeded, you will know about it already because even though it will be recorded after this, it'll be published before it. What's that graph that everyone puts on Twitter? The more, the more you fuck around, the more you find out. Mm-hmm. If we fuck around with a daily show, mm-hmm. we'll find out whether it works. We will find out. Um, Aaron Finch retired from all international cricket last week. He only had T20s left in his portfolio. His ministerial reshuffle um, <laughs> had reduced his portfolio to that. <laughs> He decided he wasn't going to be around for the next World Cup in 2024, uh, a conclusion that most of us had reached already. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's kind of mean sometimes, like towards the end of a player's career, people really death ride him, you know, oh, it's all over, it's all over. And I know I've been guilty of a little bit of that with Aaron Finch, but he did seem like he'd, he'd run his course for the most part. He is going to keep going around in the Big Bash for a couple more years, but it seems like a realistic and right time to call it off. Yes, had he stayed till the next World Cup in 2024 in that form of the game, to to stick with your comparison, he might have ended up minister with that portfolio. Mm. By that I mean there for captaincy reasons, there to be a a strong presence around the cabinet table, Mm -hmm. but without necessarily any portfolio responsibilities, i.e. the need to make runs. So I think it made sense. But you're right, we need to celebrate Aaron Finch's career because it's a a brilliant one. I mean, the numbers in T20Is... He was an an all-time ridiculous destruction machine. He really was. I mean, serious career, serious records broken routinely. A captain in 73 of the 100-odd T20s that he played, which shows the leadership... um, presence that he had, especially after the sandpaper debacle, remembering that he had been captain earlier than that. He had it taken away from him after a rough trot of form before the T20 World Cup in 2016 when they gave all the captaincy jobs to Steve Smith. That didn't go so well, you might remember. Mm -hmm. Um, But he came back and did it with aplomb. I was there when he made that record-breaking score at Harare when he kept bombing balls onto the roof of the ground Mm -hmm. there. Um, Not too dissimilar to what Damien Martin did here in 2004, actually. We're just sitting underneath the press box where there's the tin roof that Damien Martin famously landed a six on on the way to his match-winning century. Um, But yeah, he leaves the game, leaves the team at a time of transition. We don't really know where the Australian T20 side will be in 2024. We know that Pat Cummins, well, I say we know, it's been reported that Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark, who, you know, have been still the, the main three quicks at T20 World Cups of late, worked out pretty well in the UAE year before last, might finish up as white ball players at the 50 over World Cup this year. Mm-hmm. So it may well be a very different looking pace setup when they you know, get to the West Indies in the USA next year. But on the other hand, they might go to Cummins to captain the side and say, well, look, we'll keep you going for the one day World Cup and we'll, and we'll stretch out your white ball career to that juncture before mm-hmm. he becomes inevitably a, a test only player, which, which feels like the, the medium term plan. But what about Ashton Turner as captain? That, that's gathering momentum. You know, he's, he's been so raging, successful. Raging Turner. Yeah, and we're going to get to the BBL final in a sec. Feels like an age ago, but we haven't talked about it on, on the weekly show just due to the way our, our travel schedule worked last week going to India. But yeah, Ashton Turner, who did his best work in India as an Australian cricket before the 19 World Cup when he made that sort of match-winning 80 off like 35 balls in a one-dayer. 
slipped off the radar, but now he's um, thrust himself um, back into the shop window at the perfect time as far as leadership is concerned because, you know, they, they suddenly need a, a T20 captain and they don't play another game in that format until July. Mm. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a sliding doors moment. Like, what happened with Ashton Turner that, the, in the 50-over team as well, that magical innings? Yeah. One night in Mahali. One night in Mahali, And then yeah. pretty much never saw him again. It was Pete Hanscom as well, it was when Kawaja. Like, it was a, an amazing chase, and mm. it was enough to get, you know, Kawaja into the World Cup squad proper. Hanscom played in the semi-final, but, yeah, Turner seemed to have gotten lost through all of that. But, yeah, just coming back to Finch, I think that, yeah. you know, he's going to be playing in the Big Bash, and, mm-hmm. and I suppose, I hope he fills his boots playing in franchise cricket, but he's going to be a gun broadcaster. Mm. And he's already got a gig. He's doing the one-dayers over here. Um, the threes, the three one days. Australia are playing after these test matches. Aaron Finch is doing television for that. Is so he? Oh, he is. So um, yes, uh, he's. I mean, it's pretty clear yeah. from the work he's already done that you know a, a, a sensible grown up mm. who pays a lot of attention should make a great broadcaster. My my lasting memory of him is just the hitting down the ground, the yeah. the, the simplicity, the clear simplicity of it when he was on song, you know, like that uh, that Rose Bowl innings that he yes. played in England where he just goes, okay, I'm just going to pop everything over, long off and long on. Once in a while, might go towards deep mid-wicket, um, <laughs> but pretty much stand still through the line of the ball and the launch power that he got from those, you know, that strong frame and then just booming them out like they were being fired out of a mortar. It was, it was always impressive to watch. Yeah, he was such a modern-looking player, wasn't he? Brought across the shoulders, as you say. It wasn't about footwork. It was about eye. It was about swing. Mm. It was about range. And that's why he's been you know, such a, a, a regular you know, on that circuit I mentioned before, in India especially, through the IPL. But yeah, some of his performances for Australia are right up there. And we've already gone through his one-day career. And remember, he did play Test cricket. He didn't retire from Test cricket mm. when he left the one-day side recently. So technically, this also constitutes the end of his Test career, even though it ended in reality four or five years ago but you know yeah. it takes some doing to play three formats for Australia and, and well done Aaron Finch for doing so let's do ourselves a little bit of mm, Nerd Pledge Nerd Pledge is the game that we play with people who listen to this show and help support it they send in financial contributions that are not normal denominations but they are very specific cricketing amounts God bless them God bless them and we don't know what these amounts mean, and we have to try to work it out. For instance, Bernard Sayer, repeat offender, $1.80 AUD is what he sent through. So the number is 180. The decimal point could be anywhere. Yep. And we could interpret 180 in any way we wanted. We could lay it down, flip it, and reverse it. We could turn it upside down. We could see if we could make it a palindrome, whatever. 180 is what we've got, and it comes with a clue. Uh, Bernard, I, I'm here to tell you that recently I had a, a big afternoon when I enjoyed a few beers across, across the day, um, which would traditionally been under the Leo Sayer and all day. Mm-hmm. I, in my head, thought of myself as having a Bernard Sayer. Um, <laughs> hello, Bernard. I'm actually repeating a number from earlier in my nerd pledge career, Bernard begins, but the reference point is completely different. In short, the new pledge relates to the 2005 Ashes and the one and the only day of test cricket, rather, that I've attended outside of Australia. All my life, I've dreamed of going to cricket in England and all of the years that I chose to go. Still, it would have been worse if I went a day later than I did. Jeff. Okay, well, I'm always suspicious of simple answers to questions when the answer seems obvious. Uh, this is the Rob O'Neill factor, it's ruined yes. me for life. But this is a simple answer, which makes me think it's probably wrong, but I'm going to go with it anyway because. I'm going to do it, it anyway. If it's more complicated, I haven't figured it out. 
It goes like this. We all know the story of the Lord's Test match in 2005. If you listen to this show, you've heard Adam tell you about buying tickets from a scalper. Um, you've maybe seen the photo of, like, a young tip rat Adam Collins in his yeah. Hawthorne jumper. Well, we were saying Lord's. earlier, like, as a 16-year-old me going yeah. around all the haunts around football grounds looking at every stand that had been yep. um, broken down. You know, press fast forward to me. As a 20-year-old, I wanted to go to every county ground I could go to, did, yeah. every test venue I could walk into, which, mm-hmm. you know, I've mentioned that Lord's Day quite a lot. Yeah. What I might not have told you is when I got to the Oval to watch a T20 Blast mm-hmm. game and kind of what we were doing before, sniffing around where we could get in, I saw a corporate box where it had the door open in what was then the OCS down now the JM okay. Vincent, the Vauxhall end, and I just kind of nudged my way in like I was meant to be there, pulled up a seat, said to the guy next to me, I'm obviously not meant to be here. And I had a nice shirt on. He goes, that's all right, mate. It's my work thing. It was, was played, but you can hang out with us and drink beers. It <laughs> rained the whole time. And Alec, the gaffer, Stewart, was their guest in the box that day. Was he? Pulled up next to me. And I spent two hours talking to Alec Stewart, getting, having a Leo <laughs> Having Sayer, a Bernard Sayer. Sayer. <laughs> <laughs> Happy memories. Perfect. Perfect uh, synchronicity. God loves a blagger. For this particular answer. So, look. Yeah, we know about that test match. We know about Harmison drawing blood on day one, taking five for 43. We know about him bowling out Australia for 190. You know, England feeling great, top of the world, and then Glenn McGrath going down the slope <laughs> to trash England for 155. Taking five wickets of his own. We know about Peterson batting well and then slogging Shane Warne to the deep, where who should take the catch but Damien Martin. Yes. Uh, a, a theme on this program today. Uh, all of these themes. He nearly did the Abbott trot, didn't he, KP? in his first test innings. I reckon it was McGrath and he hit him into the, the second deck of the members' stand mm. or the, the members' pavilion at Lords. It's, I think it's Athers. A young Athers. I say a young Athers. You know, retired, but yeah. early in his broadcasting career. A young commentary career. Athers. young commentary Athers, that's right. He who, did um, retire pretty early. Yeah, he was like, he was like early 30s. 31 30. Yeah, yeah. But he was like 2005. He'd probably only been doing the job a couple of years and he yeah. was on lead um, on the commentary that uh, we... A young you know, man with a sparkle in his eye. Yeah. Well, he would Squeeze have been, his little cheeks. Well, he'd, he'd have been younger then than we are now, put yeah. it that way. Former guest of the show on our Christmas edition a couple of years ago, if you're new to the final word, was Mike Atherton. Anyway, and he calls it like, you know, he really gets up for it, you know, the way that we might call a big moment on radio or whatever. And yeah, not far away from kind of clearing the pavilion as Albert Trott allegedly did. Mm -hmm. Well, Australia go big second time around. Michael Clark, December 17, makes 91. uh, Simon (laughs) Caddick, 67. Damien Martin, 65. Uh, 384 Australia. The icing yeah. on the cake here is Glenn McGrath makes 20 not out. Yes. That was his fifth highest score in his career. Was Glenn it? McGrath. He only four times got above 20. One of those four was a 21 as well. And England, I sort of forgot that England started well. They did. They're chasing 420, you know, blaze one up. But they're never going to get it, obviously. But they're, they're 80 without loss. They're going okay. And then Brett Lee takes a couple. Shane Warne into the breach. Suddenly they're 119 for five. Warne then... gets, gets Triscothic and Bell in mm. quick succession. And from memory, yep. the Bell delivery is an absolute screamer. I think is I it, that right. Is it the straight one? Is it? Is it when I, he? I feel like whatever the, he does to Bell there kind of defines the relationship that Bell would have with the Australian bowlers for a, a series. I might be thinking of a later dismissal. It might right. be the next test. But there's there's one where he goes leg break, leg break, leg break, straight ball. I LB, think that's it. Yeah, and he's, and he's basically just told him how he's going to get him out. Yeah, and yeah. And by the way, yeah. I think we had in our patron DM box recently. I'll oh, get Belly on. Um, we, we will. That's a great idea. We'll try yeah. and get Ian Bell on during the um, uh, English summer to come and do an interview with us. Yeah, why not? Why not? So the, the point is, McGrath hoovers up the rest, takes four for 29, gets Simon Jones out the last of the wickets, wins the match. Happy days. England all out for... 180. 180. Bernard says number 180. And I think the reason this makes sense is that he says it would have been worse if I went a day later than he did. If he'd gone a day later, he could have had tickets for day five. 
and there would have been no cricket because the test match was over on day four. Does that, does that check out? Yeah, it does. And it started raining like 10 minutes after they'd won the game. So the game would have stretched into day five, mm. as you say, which it didn't. But yeah, it would have, you know, had they not finished it when they did, there was a massive thunderstorm on the, thir- on the Sunday afternoon, um, which meant they, you know, got their day off and got their not on the piss at the garden. What's that hotel called in Kensington that we go to mm. when the Australians are there and when World Cups are on the garden? Not the, the Royal Garden or the, the Royal, Royal Palace. Garden. The one next to Kensington Palace there. Anyway, okay. so they would have had, there's a little um, nightclub there in a, you know, kind of like on the ground mm-hmm. floor or the basement floor of that hotel. I'm sure they, they are in there till, till all hours on a Sunday night. Well, that... That is my answer for Nerd Pledge. And if you want to be like Bernard Sayer and send in multiple Nerd Pledges <laughs> over the course of m- multiple years um, and be part of this program, part of the lifeblood, help us do what we do um, and join our lovely online community on our Final Word chat page. All of those things are available to you. Go to patreon.com slash the final word. Let's take a break and then we'll have the second half of the show. Hi, I'm Natalie Jimonis and you're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Final word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We are at the VCA ground in Nagpur and later in the year, in May to be precise, we will be in Edinburgh, or at least I will be. You'll, mm. you'll be I will be on a flight just to about. England at that point. And we're I think be, literally, I think I arrive on the Monday. Right, which is the, the end of the bank holiday yeah. weekend, one of three in May. Thank you. Uh, well, I was going to say thank you to Charles for being coronated. Uh, thank you to your, your <laughs> mother you for to, passing away. Like, what, am I, what to, am I really thanking here? Thank you to decades of hierarchical <laughs> yes. tradition that, uh, that <laughs> senselessly elevates some human beings above others. Yes. In that, it, Hereditary privilege is not something that we should be celebrating at the best of times. In a noxious way that is so pervasive in England with their horrific honours system where they now just uh, hand out little treats to people who are political allies over the course of their lives. Oh, well, you've got your nice parliamentary pension and you've got to be a minister for about 46 minutes before you get sacked. Well, guess what? You're a knight now. The the best one was, um, well, yeah, and acknowledging that I think we're left with 16 countries in the Commonwealth that aren't republics out of the 70 and Australia Mm -hmm. are one of them, so we're not much better. But yeah, the um, when a PM leaves the, the office, they get the ability to appoint members to the House of Lords. Mm. And there are some outrageous lords that have been appointed recently, like people yeah. who are like in their young, in their early 30s, who did jobs comparable to what I did as political advisors, who mm. found themselves in you know appointed for life to be lords, uh, or in, in the in the House of Lords rather, which is just absurd. Anyway, abolish the lords. Burn it all down. Burn it all down and start again. That's what I reckon. Anyway, the point is uh, people are going to Edinburgh to either run a half marathon or watch you run a half marathon. Quite a lot of people. We, I got a new email in today from Joe. Uh, Joe wrote to tell me that he's finishing his university exams on the 25th of May. He's been building up the confidence to run a half marathon. Mm-hmm. And this is what's tipped him over the edge. He's registering to run with the final word and the Lord's Taverners. And crucially, we're raising money for the Lord's Tavs as part of this process. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to the other work we're doing with the TAVs this year with our race across the country to get to as many county grants as we can, and you can hear that on the Gary Kirsten episode. I won't go through that again now, but I might again next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've probably got, I don't know, a dozen of us now running the half marathon. A couple of uh, the final worders are running the marathon um, rather than the half. Okay. About five are running the London Marathon. You can okay. still do that if you wish to. Simply get in touch. But the way to learn about it all is to sign up with the Lord's Tavs, Lord's Tavs. Remind me how we do it, Jeff? It's, it's in the show notes. Bit.ly forward slash Tavs sign up, sorry. Yes. <laughs> it that, is in the show notes. That's bit.ly slash Tavs sign up. But that is far too complicated to remember. Just <laughs> click the link in the show notes. That's how it works. 
Shall we talk about the Big Bash? It's over. Yep. I mean, it was over about two weeks ago, but we haven't been able to do a weekly show properly since then, so Let's. we haven't discussed it. Let's do it quickly. I mean, okay. let's not, you know, people know what happened in the Big Bash final and have read their analysis. But, you know, the Heat did well to get through, knocking off the Sixers in the prelim. That's where we left it when we spoke a couple of weeks ago. They got 175 in the final there at the Furnace or whatever they call the, the Casino furnace. Stadium now um, with everybody chipping in. And in the chase, you know, um, the Scorchers were three for 54 in the eighth over with work to do and then mentioned Ashton Turner before. He walks in at number five. You know, it, it's kind of selfless batting number five in a T20 side. Mm. It's not where you know, you can often be left with five or ten or fifteen balls to face, or you're coming in at three for fuck all, right? Mm. Like it's not, it's not like the prime spot. You want to yeah. be in the top three, but despite his performances and his leadership, he, he pops himself in that in that tough slot. And he, he made 53 from 32 balls to turn the final on its head. But when he falls, there's still 19 deliveries left, and they need 41 to win. And Nisa's nice got two of the overs. Remembering that Nisa nice has been, uh, you know outstanding in the Big Bash this year or, mm-hmm. so, or, or, or so I understand. I can't declare that I've watched much of it. I did watch much of this, but I, my understanding is that Nisa has had a very good Big Bash campaign. <laughs> and then they get those runs with four balls to spare. So they've, you know, they've docked off 41 in 15 deliveries. What scenes with 19-year-old Cooper Connolly, remember the name, hitting 25 from 11 there with Nick Hobson, who hit 18 off seven, including a, a six and a four off Nisa to win it in the final over. Huge crowd. A great tournament for the most part. Just what CA needed, really. And I think the Big Bash needed at a time when it did have a bit of a stench around it the last Mm -hmm. couple of years through the COVID period. Great pics of the Australian players watching in their training camp in Bangalore. They got all of the Brisbane Heat and Perth Scorchers aligned players into one hotel room to watch it together. And that was quite wholesome. It was quite nice how they were like shaking hands with each other at the end. Like, good game, mate. Good game, (laughs) mate. Like they'd been playing in the game. And as we said before, great timing from Ashton Turner. Can I tell you something that confused me with the handshakes? You know, at the end of a test match, everybody shakes hands. Like it used to be the teams shook hands and then it was the players would also shake hands with the umpires because, you know, you're being respectful towards the umpires. And then it started to be that, you know, maybe the opposition coaches would would come down and shake hands with the, the opposing team as they came off. And it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The handshake circle is now... All of the members of the support staff yes. are involved. All of the squad players in the rooms are involved. And they shake hands not only with the opposition's entire extended squad, but then with all of their own players as they come off the field. Like, well done, well played, even though you just lost inside three days and it was humiliating and bad. So I, I was lurking on the boundary line waiting to do the, the interview at Stumps yep. on the third day when... When that final wicket fell and standing next to the Australian dugout and as soon as that wicket fell, all of the Australian bench players who were just sort of milling around in, in that little area on the boundary line all just turned to each other and started shaking hands with one another. I'm like, it wasn't even part of the ceremonial sort of line on the field thing, but it was, it was like, what, what do you, what's the point? What are yeah. you like, you're Mitchell Swepson sitting there watching the game, you know, and you're hanging out with Ashton Agar and you've been sitting there talking shit and running drinks out onto the field for the last three days and then the last wicket falls and you're like well done mate good game good game good game sitting here with me as we know we've been doing because we've (laughs) been together the entire time like it's it it makes no sense to me whatsoever probably the team song is the natural extension of that Mm. and i think this is probably a footy thing where you 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 know when cameras came into the huddle what 15 20 years ago Mm. in, in this is footy in aussie rules when i say footy where you would see you know um, Hawthorne win a game and it wouldn't just be the 22 guys that played but the trainers and the, and the mm. runner and the, and the coach and the assistant coaches and all the rest of it yep. I think that's a cricket thing so you now see kind of anyone with a CA lanyard mm. who works in the support staff you get those little clips don't you of, um, yeah. of, of them singing 
you know, the, the team song occasionally. Not all the time, but they, they don't like putting them out. But they sometimes put them out um, on special occasions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody seemingly gets to do the arms around each other, up and down, up and down. But hey, the Southern Cross, I stand. Yeah, Second yeah. verse, same as the first and, and all the rest. I would have thought, I, I, I doubt in Jeff Marsh. Here's Marsh's his day, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, I doubt in um, <laughs> Jeff Marsh, Rod Marsh. I doubt in Rod Marsh's day when he started it or, um, or you know, David Boone or whatever, that, yeah. that it was a, an all of... Yeah, that you know, the ACB secretary was in there. I, I, you know. Exactly, you know where I'm going with mm. this. So, uh, yeah, moratorium on handshakes and... Uh, Just and what um, are you shaking hands <laughs> with each other for? Like, what if you... None of you played... But are you congratulating each other? Like, if you want to shake the hands of the players who did play and say, well done for playing the game, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And actually, the other, kind yeah, of there's sense. one other bit, actually. There's one other um, part to this. A, a close friend of mine um, has worked for a long time as a, a cricket team media manager. And when singing the national anthem at World Cup events, they have to do the arms around each other to sing the national anthem as well. Because if they're on camera and they're not kind of seen as being... Sufficiently yeah, that, that, patriotic. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I hate national anthems. Just on, just all of them. Just absolute bullshit. I'm, I'm, I am a fan of national anthems. No. I, I like that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with patriotism. It's when it noses into nationalism where I <sighs> take umbrage. I, I like being, you know, proud of singing the anthem. I, I mm. quite like singing "Advance Australia Fair," even though I don't think it's a great song. I like singing it. I like the the practice of being a proud Australian. I like uh, catching up on emails when the anthems are on. Yeah, I don't, I don't sing it time. in test matches. I, I studiously avoid it. I think as a journalist, yeah. you should have that. I find um, it weird in disconnect. the press box where people stand up for the anthem. Yeah, yeah. I don't look. I, I, yeah, I'm just saying generally speaking. If I'm watching Hawthorne play a final, uh, uh, you know, or if I'm at a, yeah. an, um, another event that warrants singing the anthem, that's cool. I don't mind that. And of course, when you're watching it, but if you're there at to the work, rugby. And, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. Like, as a fan, that I've is. got to stand to attention for the national anthems. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't owe the song anything. No, no, it's but, a song. But like the, you know, when you watch the rugby, the Six Nations, um, mm. or, or, or football World Cups or whatever, you know, I, I don't know how many times when I've had a few beers, I jump on YouTube and watch, and watch, you know, '96 uh, Euro semi-final, God Save the Queen, when it's England Germany, and the, and the mu- and the music gets drowned out. The singer, I think it's Cliff Richard, possibly, gets drowned out after one bar, and Wembley, old Wembley, just takes. Over over and roars. Oh, yeah, that's good shit, mm. right? I yeah, but that. sing a better song. Like, imagine if they did that with a good song. Yeah, I know. I you know, know. Imagine, if really, they, yeah. imagine if they did that with, you know, the Welsh doing Swing Low or something. I mean, that's good. Oh, I mean, you the, know, the, when there's a good song, yeah, get a good song. When the Welsh sing their national anthem before yeah. a rugby game and all the players are sobbing, you know, right. it means something. Not all of them, but occasionally. You know? It's good shit. Yeah. Anyway, imagine, imagine where if, are we? What are we talking we about? Did the Big a, Bash. did a Paul Kelly track. <laughs> um, well, let's move on from the, from the Big Bash because we know what happened there. West Indies Zimbabwe test match wrapped up pretty recently. This was fun actually a lot of interesting and weird stuff happened in this one a fair bit of rain on the first day delays for wet field problems on the second day so Craig Brathwaite and Tatanaran Chanderpaul batted together on both of those days and then into the third day Brathwaite gets up to 182 Chanderpaul finishes 207 not out so big double for Chanders number two declaring at 447 for six Gary Balance who we spoke about during the prelude to the Gary Kirsten interview. He has now had two Chanderpools make hundreds against him in yes. test matches. One yes. when he was playing for England with Shiv and now this one with Tedge. And he went on to get a ton himself, 137 not out, gets Zimbabwe up to 379. And this is where the fun stuff starts. Deficit of 68, funky, Michael Clark style, December 17th, they declare nine wickets down, um, even though they're 68 behind, not 69 behind, I note. So they're inviting the West Indies to set it up, which they do. They make 203 for five in 60 overs. They declare an hour after lunch on the last day, setting Zimbabwe 272 to get in 50 overs, thus making... Craig Brathwaite and Tetranine Chanderpaul, the only batting pair to bat on all five days of a test match in test history. There you go. Really? Yes. 
That's really good. That is I'm good. still laughing at the, you keep dropping in December 17th. Um, <laughs> remember, remember the 17th of December. <laughs> it's going to get better and better, isn't it? Ah, right. Imagine that if, if it's, it's four days before gravy day. Well, I'm, it's going to become I'm, an annual before, tradition. Someone's going to have to write a song, and it should yeah. be. Friend of the How show, to make Paul gravy Kelly. should be the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> Or the song he writes for December 17th. Yeah. That could be the national We did anthem. one for Kawaja last week. You could did. do one for, yep. for the former captain this year, perhaps. Yeah, well, look, the Gary Balance um, piece of this. I just want to say that I'm, I'm very aware that what's going on at Yorkshire at the moment is complicated and a lot of people are affected and there's a, a lot going on and I don't feel qualified to talk about it right now. I think that we need to talk about it properly for the myriad players that have stepped away and former players and staff and staff who weren't named in the report. You know, I get all the complexities here, right? Well, I say I get all of it. I don't get all of it. I understand that there is there are a, lot, a lot here. There's a lot to get through. And we're not qualified to have that conversation now, but we mm-hmm. should. And balance is a big part of that. So yep. let's just, yeah, just want to acknowledge on the way through here that we're not skipping it. We're not dogging it. But much like it was with Afghanistan a couple of weeks ago, it's not right for us to just kind of sum it up in three minutes. It's like yeah. a, it's a half an hour conversation that we will have with somebody who knows this inside and out and do it properly rather than doing it on the fly. So yeah, yep. Gary Balance has now officially moved to Zimbabwe has made 100 at the first time of asking and presumably will now enjoy a second test career. I wonder whether, you know, just forgetting it, that balance for a second, whether this might pave the way for others who live in other countries to play for Zimbabwe. I like Eddie Byram. He's played for a couple of clubs, made a great 100 at Lords in the Bob Willis final mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. He moved over to Glamorgan last year from Somerset. I think it was Glamorgan. Almost certain it was. But yeah, he, he um, he's a good player. And, you know... He did go through the Zimbabwe system before moving. Yeah, and we had this conversation on the Zim special last year with Liam Brickhill that they've lost players to migration, whether they can bring players back. Mm-hmm. I hope they can because they have enjoyed some you know, significant moments in the last 12 months, albeit not going on to really give themselves a chance of winning this one. Well, 272 to get in 50 overs was the challenge for Zimbabwe. They did go after it for a minute, yep. but the West Indies left arm orthodox spinner Gudakesh Motier took four for 50. Roston Chase took two for nine, put the Frighteners on them yeah. at six down. Jason Holder was bowling off breaks at one point. Was he? Spinning track in Bulawayo. He's got it, the height for it. It was favourite. Well, we've been turn. talking about Jason Holder uh-huh. and maybe his test career is over. Yeah. Could he go full Tony Gregg? I mean, similar-sized men. Didn't he? Wasn't it? Was it Suleiman Ben was the really tall Oh, my word. Suleiman uh, Ben, big boy. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm thinking Tony Gregg, if he's bowling yep. offies. I mean, mm-hmm. Gregg was six foot six, I think, and six, holds yeah, a six, six foot four, seven. Maybe. Yep. And obviously, you know, both accomplished batters at Tesla. Rakeem the Dream, very tall. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm on this. If, mm. Let's extend Holder's career by five years by bowling offies. I'm Excellent. in. Excellent. All right, I like it. Uh, well, he gave it a go here, and look, they were fuck around, find out. They got a bit nervous, Zimbabwe, but they did manage to hold on. Tafadwa Tsiga, who's the debut wicketkeeper, made 24 of 83 balls to save the Test match at six down, 134 for six by the end. So. Good from Zimbabwe to hang tough uh, for a bit when they needed to and, uh, you know, good that the West Indies could put some pressure on. And it's the start of a run. Ben Gardner put this up Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, before the test, rather, where test cricket's going to be played every single day apart from two, and that excludes days like today when, when, when we should have a test Test cricket played. is scheduled to scheduled be played. Scheduled to be played. I think it's like in all bar two days in the next two months, mm-hmm. which is deceptive because it gives us a sense that test cricket's in rude health and it's being played everywhere. That's due to the World Test Championship, mm. which continues to be under threat. And if you don't think it is, you're fucking kidding yourself. Uh, right about the one-day Super League. So this is getting interesting because uh, the South Africans beat 
England, which we didn't think they would be able to do. They won yeah. that series 2-1. And in the last of those matches, the one that England did manage to win, Joffre Archer, little fellow you might have heard of, came back into international cricket, took six for 40 and won the game. Hello, boys. I mean, bowled fast, mm-hmm. bowled accurately. Um, I was watching a bunch of it. Well, Daniel and I were recording when England were batting and made a comeback from they were like three for 20, then Josh made 100. And... David Malan made 100. Um, he's in good nick in one-day cricket. He might just find himself in another World Cup later this year. And then Joffe yeah, just does what he does and gets them the win. It means that South Africa don't sweep it, so they don't get the chance to have any latitude um, when it comes to the matches that Sri Lanka will play against New Zealand mm-hmm. and indeed the matches they play against the Netherlands. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, how exciting. If Archer is available for the Ashes this year, and I know I'm changing formats by saying that, but sure. if he's fit enough to play 50-over cricket and that can translate through to test cricket and if you chuck in there Ollie Stone, who's been making his comeback, we were watching him play one-day cricket recently, and you throw in there Mark Wood, who's been going great guns since his elbow surgery last year, mm-hmm. plus Anderson, plus Broad, plus Robinson, suddenly... That looks like, the, and, and Chris Wokes in home conditions, you know, we think of needing a group of five or six fast bowlers to win an Ashes series. Well, suddenly, why say fast mm. bowlers? Seamers who can bowl quickly, ideally. There are seven there. So that's a lot better than what they were able to achieve when they came to Australia and, and didn't have any of the, the big three quicks and all of them are firing. And, and Archer, what a great story that is. Well, England are in New Zealand at the moment preparing for a test series. Anderson and Broad are both there yep. with Robinson, with... Matthew Potts, yep. who forgot about him, still yep. still comes up as Matty Potts on a lot of the websites. He, I don't know why. He, he goes by Matty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, just weird. I mean, yeah. that's his. It's, I don't know. Nicknames it's a bit like going by Jimmy, like the, you know, Jimmy Anderson gets Jimmy Anderson. He is that, Jimmy he? Anderson. Yeah. It's true. Ollie Stone is there as well, who's also Ollie Stone, not Oliver Stone. And you know, Jimmy um, Anderson doesn't like being called Jimmy Anderson. Sure. Though. Yeah, yeah he, he wants to be when they go. James. You know, he said this on Taylor's, I think that. He wants to be known when he comes into the attack as James Anderson, not Jimmy, but, you know. That's, like that's the name of the end at Old Trafford, yeah. the James Anderson end. Yeah. Uh, Jack Leach is there as well. New Zealand have Tim Southey captaining as far as their bowling goes with Kyle Jamieson, Neil Wagner, Matt Henry, Ish Sodi, um, and I suppose you could sort of kind of count Michael Bracewell among the bowlers. He's been having a bit of fun recently for New Zealand after a pretty chastening time when he was in England last the last English summer when they were asking him to do things that were beyond his pay grade, basically, in terms of being a, a lone spinner there. But, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see Matt Henry getting a gig as well with Trent Bolt not there anymore, like now, because Henry was always the one who was being forced to make way. Yeah, that's, that's right. When they have their full complement of quicks available, it would often be Henry um, who had to stand down. But I agree, he had that wonderful test match at Christchurch last year when he bowled out South Africa and made runs down at number 10. So he's back in. And, yeah, just with... That group of bowlers you mentioned from New Zealand, it feels a bit samey, but um, it's notable that Trent Bolt's not available. This is where it's going to begin, right? What, what will he be available for? What won't he be available for? Same applies for Colin de Grandholm, who's um, not in this squad, but more often than not would be in their CDG. starting 11. CDG um, is busy being an airport in Paris. <laughs> and the reason I raise him is, like, Michael Bracewell is being kind of asked to, in a way, play that role, right? A guy who can be a hold-up-and-end bowler and combat aggressively. And we saw him make that brisk 100 against India in a one-day mm. a couple of weeks ago. So it might be great timing for Bracewell, even if he had to wait until age 31 or, yep. or whatever it is to get his international debut last year. It's usual suspects for New Zealand as well, batting-wise. Kane Williamson back in the ranks with Saudi captaining Tom Latham, Devin Conway, Tom Blundell, Daryl Mitchell, Henry Nichols. Um, these kind of, you know, the mostly names that we've seen going around for years and years. Um, and then... A little bit 
little bit spicy for England with as they're still trying to work out how things work. Crawley and Duckett opening, Pope three, Root four, and then they're working out, I guess, what happens in the middle. They've got Harry Brook, who hit five sixes and yeah. five balls in the warm-up game. <laughs> um, they've got Stokes floating around in the middle order, obviously. They've got Dan Lawrence back in the squad. They've got Will, Will Jacks floating around as Great. well. They've got Ben Folks to keep, although people keep arguing that he should. they should be getting like a, a shoehorn keeper, like He's gonna getting get Pope to keep. Over. You reckon? You they're going to give fucking the gloves to Pope. Away. Well, they're not going to be able to help themselves, are they? No. Because baseball. Because baseball, right? It's yeah. going to happen. He's going to be the guy who is the unlucky part of the baseball story because at the end of the day... He doesn't um, baseball. He doesn't baseball, despite how well he has played since mm. baseball started. The century he made at Old Trafford and all the rest of it. They're going to be squeezed at some point. Harry Brook is going to play every Ashes test. Johnny Bairstow, fitness provided, is going to play every Ashes test, right? Like yeah. You can kind of see where I'm getting to, right? Sure. Joe but Root. Bairstow's there, it makes sense. You could have Bairstow to keep. But, if, but, but, but are they going to get Pope to keep? This is... Well, I, I think... Look, Pope and Bairstow would both play in that scenario. Yeah, but, but Bairstow, if Pope's your first drop, you don't really want him to keep as but well. But nor do you want Bairstow to keep. No. Whilst being, at times, an excellent keeper through his career, his numbers as keeper in 2016 were fabulous. They were rubbish thereafter. Um, yeah. he, was, he, was used as a, and he was used as a keeper to answer the wrong question much of the time as much as he wanted to do it. So yeah. that's where I eventually see them doing folks over, unless there's an injury there. And the other thing about this is... Um, it's not a World Test Championship series. Right. It's the second time these sides have duked it out in the WTC era without playing for WTC points, mm. where New Zealand came out and played a warm-up series against England in 2021. This is probably the, the fixer-upper for mm. that. But is there ever a year where these two sides aren't playing Test cricket? Like, mm. we often joke about Australia, England, India, the big three. Mm. New Zealand and England find a way to play each other most years. New Zealand-England Test Series are the new India-Sri Lanka ODI series. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, and just on Dan Lawrence, I'm really pleased to you know, see that, right? He, yeah. he, he was doing baseball before baseball was baseball. Mm-hmm. And now he gets a chance to be in the squad. Oh. He lost his spot during the, um, the West Indies series last year when he was nine runs away from a maiden test ton. Just kind of got lost in the pecking order. But yeah, he looks like he's the kind of player who will mould really nicely uh, into this new world order. We have said baseball more times in the last six minutes than we've ever said it in the entire history <laughs> of the show easy. because we've tried to avoid saying it. I like it because it's, tra- it's just I think it's become it becomes part of the lexicon and then even though everybody will tell you how much they hate it and how it shouldn't apply, it is easy. Um, Give me that more than like Lord Tucker, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, sure. Or, or Sir Ravinder Jadeja. Sir, Sir Jadeja. Also makes no sense to me. Yeah. It's just like using unnecessary... Uh, what, what are they called? The, the honorifics. The WTC I've worked out is now the Wellington Test Championship, and that's what England and New Zealand play when they, <laughs> when they play between each other. Down in Wit and Windy Wellington. Uh, right. Mount Monganui this Mount week. Mount Monganui. What a, what a name, what a place, what a concept. I think this is where we should end. The final word, season 13, episode, whatever this is. Um, and <laughs> we've got to go and watch India and Pakistan in the Women's World Cup. We do. Bharat, our tour captain. I love the fact that, you know, an Indian Australian is leading the Australian press pack in India. Mm-hmm. Um, he's found, he went, uh, we, were having, we were in a cafe earlier, the cafe that Pete Lawler and Gideon Haig had scoped out before the, the series with the Australian barista and all the rest of it. We went in there for lunch and Brat said to me, as we were leaving to record, I'm going to ask all of the young people where they would watch the cricket. And so he did. And he's found a place and we're going to go and join him now. 
All right. Um, this has been the final word. If you want to help the show do what it does, go to patreon.com slash the final word. Uh, that's where you can also find our chat page and hang out with our very, very friendly and pleasant online community. And uh, if you want to run the marathon, send us an email at finalwordcricket at gmail.com. All the stuff's in the show notes, the links, yep. the information, the things to click. Happy days. We will be back before you know it because we can't stop and we won't stop. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. Bye-bye. I had to go about it.